Hey everybody, Dave here. Just little old me, just by myself, with you, some time together. Just wanted to jump in here at the beginning and thank the person who gave us that email last week that we talked about. They sent over a list of occupations that I've claimed to have. So thank you very much for that. And here is season one, the occupations I have claimed. Uh, I am not an ornithologist, which is true. I am a medical doctor in my spare time. Uh, I find that just funny, but it's not true. I am not a medical doctor. It was accounting. I did do some accounting uh, at one time. Accounts payable. It was painfully boring. Preston said, I am not a professional driver, and I said, I am. That's true. I am currently a professional driver. <laughs> one time Kristen said, I am not a scientist, and I responded, I play one on a podcast, <laughs> which I find very funny. I'm very adamant that I was never a hitman when I was eight years old. I said that I worked at Kmart. I did. I worked at Kmart when I was in high school. I claimed to be a rocket scientist in the rocket scientist episode. And I've claimed to be a brain surgeon. So that is all the season one occupations that I claimed. And uh, it was nice to see that a couple of them were actual, actually true. So I'm not a complete liar. Only play one on a podcast. It's a pretty short episode. We kept getting interrupted by Moses, and it broke up the flow, so we didn't really get into a good groove here, but I still think it's a decent episode, because it was a good episode of the show. So I hope you like it. Kristen hopes you like it, even though she's not here to say so. We will talk to you guys again next week. And, of course, you know, right now. <laughs>
and J.B. Bivens, the sharpshooter, previously played truck driver in the <laughs> X-Files episode Pilot. Oh, Pilot, truck driver. Who was the truck driver in Pilot? J.B. Bivens. <laughs> can't remember a truck driver. <laughs> so, how did you like this episode? I don't know if I liked it as much as the last one, but still good. Well, the reception, the episode was met with positive reviews from critics Okay. back in the day. In a retrospective of the second season in Entertainment Weekly, the episode was rated an A-, being called, quote, an exhausting, essential chapter boasting the series' most visually stunning finale, unquote. Uh, okay. Visually stunning? <laughs> Not how I would describe it. Well, writing for the AV Club, Zach Handlin rated the episode an A, noting that it was, quote, X-Files in top form, unquote. He felt that the fight between Skinner and X was, quote, one of the season's great moments, unquote. I agree with that. Although he derided the use of Scully as a, quote, heroine as victim, unquote, role. Hey, I was going to mention that. Yep. And then finally, Michelle Bush, in her book Myth X, has noted that Endgame is, quote, a good example of the basic premises that Mulder and Scully cannot succeed without the other, unquote, and serves to highlight, quote, the danger of making someone else's choice for them, unquote. Interesting. Yeah. All right. I don't know how uh, Chris Carter felt. He thought it was great. Yeah? This is probably the best episode to date. Mm. Frank Spotnitz did a great job with the script. Rob Bowman killed it directing. Awesome. Good job. Clap, clap, clap. All right, ready to get into it? Yes. The cold open. Is it a cold open if you're in part two of two? Well, in this one it is because we're on the USS Allegiance. What? (laughs) An American nuclear submarine. It's on a cartography mission in the Beaufort Sea off the coast of Alaska when it comes across a craft below the ice that is emitting a bizarre radio signal. And we had a discussion about cartography because that's maps. Right. Why are they... Under the ice? Yeah. They were on a topography mission. It would make more sense. Yes. Mapping out the bottom of the ocean. Do you think they all, they use it interchangeably? Or do you think the X-Files did it wrong? I think the X-Files did it wrong. Hmm. I'm not a map expert, are you? Uh, no. No? No. I am a topographical expert. Oh, okay. Uh, topographical ointments, though. <laughs> that is a different thing. It is on. It's still on the surface, but. Oh, you know what? Topographical maps are still maps. They so are. So it maps. might still be cartography. You know what? I'm glad we had this discussion. Me too. <laughs> Listeners are screaming at us if they if they know. We do have a large uh, cartographer fan base. It is. It's interesting to see the analytics on that. It's like. We have a pretty balanced mix between male, female, non-binary, but then it's the biggest chunk is cartographers. Heavily skewed. Heavily skewed cartography. Uh, Followed distant second is podiatrists. (laughs) It's true. The Allegiance is ordered to fire upon the craft by Pacific Command. However, the craft manages to disable the sub using a high-pitched frequency, stranding it 1,000 feet below the 32 foot thick ice. Yeah, because the dude sitting in the chair was whining the whole time. But sir, I don't want to shoot the spacecraft. 
But, sir... He didn't know it was a spacecraft. But, sir... This is how World War Three didn't happen that one time. But, sir... By that other guy whose name I can't remember. The Russian dude who didn't fire back? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know his name, but... I don't either. Sorry, I brought up Russia. Editors note who we're talking about here is Vasily Arkhipov, who was one of three commanders on a Russian nuclear sub... Like, not nuclear-powered, but had a nuclear warhead on it. Because during the Cuban Missile Crisis, they were in the Caribbean within striking distance. They were radio silent, so they had no communication with the outside world, and they were given orders to launch that nuke if they were attacked. And the U.S. Navy started dropping depth charges, but not necessarily attacking them. And two of the three commanders approved shooting the nuke into the U.S. fleet. And Vasily uh, said no. So they couldn't do it because of him. Because of him, nuclear war did not happen. This guy is probably the savior of the entire human race. But it's not launching a nuke. It's just shooting a craft. I think we should stop shooting at things. I think in this case, this entire episode would have gone differently if they had just shot the craft. All right. Continuing from the cliffhanger ending of Colony, Scully is beaten and kidnapped by, quote, unquote, Mulder who is really the alien bounty hunter in disguise, which, honestly, he didn't beat up anybody else. Not until the end of this episode. Right, but in the whole other episode, you were like, maybe he's the good guy. I was thinking maybe he was the good guy. And then he punches Scully and throws her on a table. Yeah, she almost did a good job. She immediately figured out who... She did. Not who it was, but that it wasn't Mulder. She pulled her gun, but then she gets right up on him and is like, here, uh, turn around and take my gun. (laughs) So I have some production notes. The grunt that Scully utters after being thrown through the table was insisted on by standards and practices to make clear to viewers that she was still alive. Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay. Frank Spotnitz thought of this as arcane, bizarre logic that you have to deal with when you're putting a show on network television. (laughs) He's probably perfectly accurate. I don't know anything about you, Frank, but I like your quote. Yeah. When the real Mulder finds the wrecked hotel room, his sister Samantha explains that the bounty hunter will set up a hostage exchange to swap Scully for her. She was 100% correct. Yes. It was another good transition when he went from Mulder to Brian Thompson. It made me wonder, when was the Michael Jackson black and white video? Oh, did you look it up? I did look it up. Ah. That was 1991. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they had like four years to perfect the transition technology and they did a good job yeah and they have a better budget than they had in season one as we've already discussed samantha further explains that the bounty hunter can only be killed by piercing the base of his neck and Mulder says you'll kill anybody that way (laughs) he's right (laughs) he is right it's like a stake in the heart that'll do it all most things yeah uh, but she says this is specific to this guy because he has toxic alien blood and it's deadly to humans, so only she can do it. <laughs> right. Which Mulder doesn't pick up on. No. Finally, Samantha reveals that the Gregors are a progeny of two original aliens and worked at abortion clinics to gain access to fetal tissue. And I said, ooh, okay, shouldn't they have worked in research? Because here's what I googled. Oh, okay. Where do most fetal stem cells come from? From the Mayo Clinic. Uh, on the Mayo Clinic's website, they say, not from the Mayo Clinic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> these stem cells come from embryos that are three to five days old. At this stage, an embryo is called a blastocyst and has about 150 cells. 
These are pluripotent, pluripotent stem cells, meaning that they can divide into more stem cells or become any type of cell in the body, which is freaking fascinating. And then in an article called Setting the Stage, Fetal Research, Fetal Tissue Research, and Historical Timeline of Regulation and Legislation, it gives a whole breakdown of fetal tissue research, what's holding up research, what research would be doing. It's very interesting. How on earth do you get a fetus that's three to five days old? It's an embryo. Em- whatever it is, whatever the terminology is, how do you know that someone's three to five days pregnant? You don't. You put it in a little test tube. Oh, you just create it all together. Okay. Yeah. You just made it from scratch. Yeah. Homemade. Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm caught up now. <laughs> Their objective was to set up a colony of extraterrestrial beings on Earth, an effort that has gone as far back as the 1940s, you know, when nothing else bad was going on, eugenics-wise. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Ugh. She does mention, again, parents, as mm-hmm. in two, and Mulder still doesn't pick up on, well, that must mean there's a, a male-female dynamic going on here. Who's your mother? Nope. Nothing nothing like that. No questions. He's not concerned about his mom. He just wants to get her out of the way by tucking her in at 5.30 p.m. <laughs> not concerned about where his sister has been all these years. However, because the Gregor's experiments were considered to have tainted their alien race, the bounty hunter was sent to kill them. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I don't like that the bounty hunter is a Nazi. No. It's bad. And they literally said goes back as far as the 1940s. They made him specifically a Nazi. It's not a good look for anybody. No, I just wrote eek. Eek. (laughs) I wrote, that sucks. (laughs) Walter Skinner meets Mulder and Samantha at Mulder's apartment, telling them that the remaining Gregors are missing. Mulder receives a call from a captive Scully who tells him that the bounty hunter seeks in exchange for, quote, another woman whom Mulder knows, unquote, which we know is Samantha, but Scully does not. <laughs> which actually, at this point, we know is not Samantha, but is posing as Samantha. Right. Because we've picked up odd context clues that Mulder has not. Because <laughs> we're smart. <laughs> he is yeah. suspicious, though. Mm-hmm. And... Clearly, Mulder has never seen the thing pinprick her finger. And if you start to get nauseous, she's not Samantha. This is an easy, quick thing that he could do. Why would she get nauseous? Him. Oh, he would get nauseous, yes. Because her blood is toxic. That would make sense. She really wants to go and do this. She has been adamant that she is the only person who can attack the bounty hunter. Yeah. After telling us (laughs) and Mulder specifically why. Uh Uh-huh. But we know Mulder is too much of an optimist that sometimes it blinds him to the reality of the situation. Yeah, she says, you have to trust me. And no, no, you don't. I'm your sister. You're not. You've told me so many different ways that you aren't. (laughs) The point here is that she does want to go. Mulder is against it at first, but then he doesn't see another way to get Scully back. And I think he's having suspicions also. Could be, yeah. So that's, so that's where they're at. Then Mulder asks Skinner to trust and help him with the exchange. Mulder and Samantha are sent to a bridge near Bethesda, while Skinner hides nearby with a sharpshooter who is positioned directly behind the biggest beam. He tells Skinner, basically, there's no time to explain. 
And then I like to imagine them all driving there together. In silence? In silence. Mulder's <laughs> flipping through the radio stations. Skinner's like, hey, uh, fill me in here. There's, there's no time. There's no time. <laughs> Never gonna give you up. Gonna... Some static. Some talk radio. A bunch of car com- local car commercials. <laughs> Crazy George. <laughs> After the exchange takes place... Samantha attacks the bounty hunter. So they do actually... So the bounty hunter does have Scully. She's all bloody again because he's punched her in the face and thrown her into a table. He lets her... He lets Scully go. Scully gets directly into the car. And in a little bit, you made a comment that Scully is such a... So much better of an actor than... David Duchovny. Than David Duchovny. Right. And in this scene, it's a good... If you're watching... Pay attention to her reaction when she's released from the bodyguard, or the bounty hunter, not the bodyguard, and goes into the car. She is visibly shaken. She is traumatized. She needs to get her bearings together, and she knows it. Yeah. And then juxtaposed to this very sad scene that's about to come up. Yeah, I have. Yeah. I've got plenty on that. She is very shaken, though, because she's thinking like me. Well, at least I wasn't damseled the entire episode. (laughs) Just like 15 minutes of it. Could have been worse. So Samantha attacks the bounty hunter and they struggle. The sharpshooter doesn't do anything. He shoots him in the, like, shoulder. I guess he does. Or the trapezius. Yeah. Got him right in the trapezius. And then the bounty hunter and Samantha fall into the river. Four minutes later. Yeah. They they jump into the river. <laughs> they really do. It's They did the Ric Flair flop after getting shot. Yes, it's amazing and you should watch that. It's it's wonderful. <laughs> and then watch uh, like a compilation video of the Ric Flair flop. Yeah. Cuz it's also wonderful. Yes. <laughs> Woo. Woo. You talking to the Rolex wearing diamond ring wearing Kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. Woo! Later, an anguished Mulder tearfully apologizes to his father, Bill, for losing her again. And this is the scene. Tearfully? Well, he tried. <laughs> he tried He's, so hard. He really did. He squeezed his. He squeezed those eyes. Squeeze, squeeze. They squeeze. couldn't give him some eye drops. Like, they didn't have eye drops back in 1995. If, if he had used some eye drops and some tears would have come out, it wouldn't have been a bad scene. So, wait. But he's just sitting there dry faced. Well, all right. What part of 1995 did this come out again? February. Ah, I see. I'm sorry that I asked you which month it was. <laughs> this is, so, this is little known fact. We've oh. all forgotten. Okay. Those of us who were alive before 1995. But... Uh, eye drops didn't exist before then. Eye drops and bisexuals came out in <laughs> 1995. 1995. Wow. Okay, so. But it was summer. It was watery eyed water- bi people wa- summer. <laughs> watery eyed hot people summer? Yes. Okay. Another thing in this scene that I noticed I don't really like the actor who plays his dad. No. So I have recast his dad. Oh. I actually have three choices for you. Am I going to know any of these people? Because. I just, I started thinking, who could have played his dad? Who was, like, in their 60s in the mid-90s? 
the first thought that came into my mind. I'm so glad you're pulling up pictures. This is this is part of, I have five characteristics, and this is one of them, not remembering who anybody is. Right. Uh, <laughs> the first guy who came to my mind, just jumped immediately to mind, is Richard Harris. Most people would know him as, he played Dumbledore in the first movie. Yep. He was also in Cry the Beloved Country with James Earl Jones. Here's a picture of him from that movie. Oh, what in, an attractive man. In 1995. Exactly. Good looking dude. He would have made a good uh, William Mulder. He already has more charisma in this still <laughs> image. Yeah. And then here is here he is in Gladiator as oh, Marcus Aurelius. With wow. A, with some long hair and a beard. Yeah. That's nice. Another thought I had is a comedic actor named Peter Cook. British guy who most people would know as the priest in uh, Princess Bride. Marriage is what brings us together today. Marriage, that wicked arrangement. Oh, okay. Yeah, but here he is. Oh, yeah. Another good-looking dude, and he, could, yeah. he would have brought some of that, like, Mulder charm to it. Yes, I didn't mean to not say that he's a good-looking dude. He is also a good-looking dude. Yeah, very funny. He's in one of my favorite movies from the 80s called Yellowbeard. Oh, yes. With Graham Chapman. Um, I love his, I love their little getup. Yeah, yeah. And then, just for the hell of it, I went, also, Bob Euchre. Oh. <laughs> that would have been insane. What movie is that from? That's from Major League. Okay. <laughs> but those were, those were my three guys, and we'll tweet those out. Yeah. So everybody can see who I think would be a better William Mulder. I wonder if he's going to get more charismatic as he gets into his character. Hopefully. Because you know this can't be the last time he's show- he shows up. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't think so. But yeah, hmm. I wasn't taken by him either. I You know what this is going to do to your mother? <sighs> Not me. I don't give a shit. I have no feelings that I will admit to. You know, that's healthy. <laughs> it's the way we were raised. <laughs> I hate that. I recently had a dad say, well, that's how I was treated. And I was like, you don't get to just treat my son that way because you were treated that way. That's shitty. Be better. Yeah. (laughs) I don't care how you were treated. I'm sorry for you that you were treated that way. And I hope that you realize with just bare minimum insight that in self-reflection that, oh, you know what? That kind of sucked. It would have been really nice if these other, these grown-ass men had been nicer to me when I was a teenager because they didn't have to be dicks. Mm -hmm. Mulder's dad leaves him a note from Samantha, which provides Mulder with the address of a Rockville, Maryland clinic where they can meet if separated, as well as an access card. Ooh. I know. It's almost as if she knew she was going to die. Right, yeah. Samantha knows what's going on, and Mulder hasn't asked her what's going on. (laughs) He berated her for not telling him what's going on, but didn't ask any follow-up questions. Yes, and I have been in situations like that, and I'm like, you still haven't asked me any questions. <laughs> and now I don't feel open to tell you things, not because you've berated me. So now you are still where you were before, and now we're both mad at each other. Well, that's how I was treated. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> ask questions. Ask follow-up questions, for sure. Mm-hmm. I know that from journalism school. You went to J school? I did. <laughs> I forget what episode I said that in. 
Mulder hopes that Samantha is alive, of course, but soon gets a call from Scully reporting that Samantha's body has been found. After Scully ends the call, she discovers Samantha's body dissolving into a green goo. Yeah, I guess the cold killed her? I'm not sure what killed her. They don't really say what, but the cold didn't kill Brian Thompson, and he got shot. Yeah. We don't know what killed her, but she did. And we know that the cold preserved her body while it was in the water, but... Then it corroded. Then it corroded. Okay. Yep. All right. That's all we know. Meanwhile, upon entering the clinic, Mulder finds multiple clones of Samantha. I bet you guys didn't see that coming. No, no, not at all. Oh, and they're also working on fetuses in labs, similar to that of the Gregors. Yeah, I believe I called that at the end of the last episode. The Samanthas reveal that they manipulated Mulder by sending one of their own to pose as Samantha in air quotes. I believe I said that exact thing. Yes. In an effort to have him protect her original clone. Yeah, original clone? Or, what? yeah, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) What? What? Those two words together don't make any sense. (laughs) Yeah, I'm unsure. Me too. Well, they wanted him to protect her, which he didn't do. And then he didn't protect any of these. And But you know what? When he said that, I was so proud of him. They were like, yeah, we're we're jerking you around. And he went, oh, I'm out of here. Yeah. I was also proud of him for that, but I'm back to the Samanthas, or you know, whoever they actually are. What information did they give him to help protect them? None. Right. Same as the dads. The Gregors? The Gregors. They didn't give Scully any information. No. It was just, protect us. Yeah. That's not helpful, especially when they have information. Protect us and you don't have information? Fine. You can, you can leave it at that. I'm, I am in danger, and you look like someone who can help me. Great. But when you actually have the information, like there's an alien bounty hunter who's on <laughs> Earth right now hunting us, and here's how he's hunting us, and here's how he's killing. Uh-huh. That's pertinent. I feel like it could have had a better outcome. Or at least there was potential for a better outcome. Well, uh, they also claim to know the real Samantha's location, and that was pretty low, I thought. Oh, yeah, they're all, well, because they're jerking him around. I know! From the start. Yes. They admit it. So, I don't know why they think they're trustworthy enough. To just throw that out without any proof at all? Right. Yeah. No. I didn't like that. I thought that was pretty lame on their part. But you're right. He does realize he's been duped, and he attempts to leave. And I just wrote, I love a man standing in an abortion clinic yelling, I have a choice! (laughs) Oh, damn it. (laughs) Which reminds me, uh, during my run this, one of my runs this weekend, I passed an SUV driven by a 50-something-year-old white man that had a big old black sticker and white letters that said, I do not consent. Cool. And I was like, neat. What is the thought process behind this? And I, you know, I wasted a half mile thinking about what his process could have been. And then I decided that no matter what the answer was, it was stupid. Yes. (laughs) So that's where we are. Mulder does leave, but is knocked unconscious by the arriving bounty hunter who proceeds to kill the Samantha clones and burn down the clinic. Does he? I don't know. Definitely burns down the clinic. Yeah. Probably kills them. Right. Because there's nothing left if you turn them into goo and then burn down everything around it. They probably just aerosolize. Yeah, that sounds like a great word. So I have a production note. 
Oh, okay. The stiletto weapon that the bounty hunter is using is often referred to as a gimlet. The gimlet was constructed from aluminum and acrylic and activated by a pneumatic hose hidden in Brian Thompson's sleeve. Oh, wow. So that thing had some power then. Pretty cool, huh? Like the uh, No Country from Old Men. From Old Men? No Country for Old Men. (laughs) This country is from Old Men. (laughs) Yes. And also for them. Yes. When no trace of the clones are found, Mulder meets with X at the Kennedy Center, demanding to know the bounty hunter's location. X tells him that the bounty hunter's craft is below the Beaufort Sea, and it's been found. That's apparently what the explosion was. Right. <laughs> oh. The craft didn't explode, but there was an explosion. Right. And that a naval fleet has been sent to destroy it. Mulder heads there, which is insanity. <laughs> Just in the middle of this episode, he's going to the Arctic now. And he's on a glacier. Craziness. He emails Scully to tell her not to follow him. Could have just given her no information. Yeah. I don't... <laughs> it would have been way more effective. <sighs> Get to Alaska, write her a letter. It'll be there yeah. in three days. Yeah. Your business will be done. That's right. You'll be dead by then. Right. It'll be fine. Scully goes to Skinner for help, but Skinner refuses. He says, we have a greater responsibility. We have to squash every leftist movement in this country. And not investigate when our field agents get murdered. (laughs) (laughs) I'm scared, Mulder. (laughs) Oh my god. So she summons X to Mulder's apartment with the window X. And we couldn't remember when he told her about this. He didn't, but I noticed on second viewing... When she sat down at his desk, the this. tape was already there, and she like pointedly looks at it before she checks the email. Okay, that does make sense. So then she puts. She figured it out because she's lady. smart lady. When X... again, <laughs> yes. When X arrives at Mulder's door to find Scully instead of Mulder, he claims mistaken identity and leaves without helping her. And when has he ever showed up to the door and knocked before? Now it's been like a playing card. Yeah. That was a bit of a... They just wanted the fight scene. Yeah, they did. Me too. (laughs) So, you know what? I'm good with it. Me too. On his way out, X is confronted by Skinner in the elevator. It's amazing because Skinner walks up and says, did you give her what she needs? And he's like, excuse me? And then they fight. Yeah, Skinner says, "Uh, how hard do we have to make this? X goes, no harder than it has to be. Yes! Oh, such a good line. It was so good. Oh, that was hardcore. It was great. And then they punch each other a bunch. (laughs) And then X pulls a gun. Yes. And then apparently Skinner appeals to his sense of honor or something. Something. Because he's, uh, if you pull that trigger, you'll be killing two people. Oh, yeah. And and X apparently cares about that. Right? Because at some point in there, he says, I've killed men for less. Right. So this dude's a killer. Yeah. Which we already know because he killed that other guy. But fight scene was great. The two men get into a vicious physical altercation in the elevator where X divulges Mulder's whereabouts in the form of GPS coordinates for a location in Alaska, which Skinner provides to Scully. And I have a production note about the fight. Okay. X actor Stephen Williams, having a background in stunt and fight choreography, 
worked with Mitch Pileggi to design the fight between X and Skinner in the elevator. Nice. When director Rob Bowman was dissatisfied with the first take of Skinner slamming X against the wall, on the second tape, Pileggi did it with so much force he <sighs> broke the back of the elevator scenery. Nice. I hope Stephen Williams was okay with that. Me too. I'm hoping that with the stunt background and the fight choreography, it was like, all right, let's give him what he wants. I hope it was that. Mulder finds a stranded allegiance with its sail broken through a patch of shallow ice, which is interesting because it was 32 feet under solid ice. That's what they said, but then they give a different explanation here in a second. Inside, he finds that the sub's crew are all dead. He comes across an apparent sole survivor, whom Mulder correctly guesses is the disguised bounty hunter. Mulder handcuffs himself to the man, and the two get into a struggle. Bounty hunter guy tosses him around. (laughs) He uses him like a bat on a pinata. It was a struggle! Uh, Mulder manages to grab his gun and fire it, but fails to hit the base of the neck and is exposed to the toxic green blood. And Bounty Hunter Guy grabs him, carries him upstairs, and chucks him out onto the ice. He sure does. He also claims that Samantha is still alive before dumping Mulder off and submerging the Allegiance. Mulder is nearly cut in half with the sub's diving plane in the process. Yeah, in a scene that went on way too long it did but i have another production note oh who fell off the submarine because that was a good stunt that was a good stunt i don't know that but i have information about the machinery okay and the landscaping okay 140 tons of snow and ice were trucked into the sound stage to create the scene with a submarine toward the end of the episode and the stage had to be refrigerated for five days Wow, they couldn't do. They couldn't get that off in one day. The control tower scenery was able to rise and lower only five feet. Oh, okay. Leading huh. to restrictions uh, such as filming on black backdrops, which I knew because I read before we watched it, and I could tell. Uh-huh. But if you're not looking for it, it just looks like it's night. It's yeah. fine. So it, you know, great. Yeah, it looked fine. The decommissioned. A decommissioned destroyer, uh, HMCS McKenzie, was rented from the Royal Canadian Navy and used for the submarine interior. Oh, I see. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that it only rose and lowered five feet, and then they (laughs) used that scene for so long, but knowing that they trucked in so many tons of snow and ice, of course they want to use that soundstage. Yeah. Mulder is discovered and rushed to a field hospital scene at the beginning of Colony, where Scully, having learned that the alien blood contains a retrovirus that dies in cold temperatures, convinces the doctors to keep him in an ice tub, saving his life. And thickens his blood. Yeah, sure. So, he's already super cold. A five degree drop in temperature should kill the virus. The virus should be dead. So, his blood is thick. That's the problem. His blood can't go through his veins because the blood's too thick what what he needs is not ice bath it's a grip of kamchatka (laughs) well we can both agree that he does not need an ice bath (laughs) yeah as Mulder's condition improves scully writes a field report crediting science with detecting the retrovirus and saving Mulder's life she contends that the retrovirus is of a mysterious origin and reports that neither the bounty hunter nor the allegiance have been found and this is where you had me pull the transcript because you had a specific line of hers that you didn't like, and it is 
bold there. Okay. Several aspects of this case remain unexplained, suggesting the possibility of paranormal phenomena. But I am convinced that to accept such conclusions is to abandon all hope of understanding the scientific events behind them. Why? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Just because they're of, you know, quote-unquote paranormal, and this isn't paranormal, this is extraterrestrial. Right. Just because they're of extraterrestrial origin doesn't make it so that, well, that's not scientific. You can be like, oh, I really want to understand that. Right. But what I picked up on second viewing was when she said, my hope for there being order in the universe. Yeah. That's really what this is. It's she, God. Yes. She says, many of the things I have seen have challenged my faith and my belief in an ordered universe. Right. What she means is God. Yeah. Because an ordered universe can have aliens in it. Right. Easily. Very easily. Yeah. That seems simple. <laughs> right. That's fine. Sure. But a universe of a Christian God cannot. I flunked out of Catholic church. I was going to say school, but I didn't go to Catholic <laughs> school. I just went to Catholic church. Well, that's, that's what her fight is. Yeah. When Mulder regains consciousness, he tells Scully that his experiences did not give him the answers he has been searching for, but they had given him renewed, quote, faith to keep looking. Well, good for him. So they were both having crises of faith, but now it's kind of flip-flopped a bit. Yeah, he's got his back, but she wants an ordered universe. Yep. And I've got some closing remarks from the AV Club's Zach Handlin on Mulder's quest for the truth. The sad paradox of Mulder's quest is that you can't want to believe and trust no one. In the end, despite near death, despite all the setbacks, he still has the faith to go on searching. He believes... He'll follow any lie, no matter how outlandish, because maybe, just maybe, he might find that final thread that will give his life meaning. And we watch, hoping the same might be true for ourselves. <laughs> oh, is that what we do? Yep. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Wow. I've got a lot of soul searching to do. You do. You should start here. Yes. Well, all right. Who are you shipping? The Samanthas and the Gregors. Oh. Actually, no. I'm go I'm staying with my Gregors, my four dads, oh. and the fetus. And then the Samanthas can have a... I don't really like spinoffs. The Gregors are all dead. They're not in this episode. So you, okay, they fine. They can't be part of it. It's going to be my six moms then. My six moms. Okay. All right. <laughs> Sports mom. Dopey mom. Yep. Okay. Scientist mom. She's too busy. Business mom. <laughs> Business mom. She's always wearing uh, two-inch heels. Yeah. Clack, clack, clack. She wears tennis shoes to work. Yes. And then changes. Yep. Yeah. Big shoulder pads. Mm-hmm. Big hair, big shoulder pads. Excellent. Higher the hair, closer to God. Oh, wow. Maybe that's why Scully's lacking faith. Her hair has gotten shorter. <laughs> smaller. Less tall. <laughs> less tall. You got it. Nailed it. Yeah. That's it. Keep that one in. First try. <laughs> well, I am shipping the bounty hunter and uh, some tolerance. Man, this eugenic stuff. Oh, it's pure blood. I don't like it. I still have faith that he's sort of a good guy. Because he could have killed Mulder so many times. He could have killed Scully. I don't like that he beat her up for no real reason. He's, he's so much stronger He's so than much bigger and stronger. He could have just, like... Grabbed her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He might have had some bruises, but not thrown her across the room and knocked her out. But yeah. he could have just left Mulder with his toxic alien blood in the air. And he didn't. 
Yeah. So, not only did he not kill Mulder, he saved Mulder's life. Yeah. Or at least gave him a chance. He threw him out on the ice where he probably would have died. Yeah. But he gave him a shot. But he was like, look, buddy, I didn't ask you to come here. Yeah. It's like uh, when Bud puts the flashlight in Ditto's coffin. What? <laughs> kill Bill 2. Oh. <laughs> You're in a bad spot. Boom, giving you a, a chance. <laughs> How are you surviving? Um, well... My sister wasn't kidnapped by aliens when I was 12, so I don't think any of this applies to me. Okay. <laughs> how, are you, how are you surviving? Well, i got to make sure my blood doesn't get too thick, so I'm going to start drinking again. No, don't do that. Got to survive. <laughs> We're not going to survive. It's too hot here. <laughs> <laughs> any last remarks? No, that's all I got. Good, solid episode. Nice and short. Okay. No, our podcast episode is nice and short. Yes. The Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. Edited by Dave Reed. You can find us on Twitter at Cast Files. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. You can email us at The Cast Files. That's the with two E's at gmail.com. If you could please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars and tell us that we are doing phenomenal things artistic wonderful things we are raising the bar on podcasting we would love you forever for that we have a t public store you can go buy t-shirts and stuff there music by hal six logo by at Uka art that's o-o-k-a-a-r-t 